0: Hello! Welcome to the Space Biff SpaceCast. As always, I'm your host, and today I am joined uh, by a talented designer. This is Matilda Simonson. Matilda, how are you today?
1: Oh I'm, oh, I'm fine, thank you very much. It's a lovely summer day over here in Sweden. Uh,
0: how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. It's a, Here, it's a lovely summer's morning, although it's been quite hot. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think, so in Fahrenheit, I think yesterday was the coolest day we've had in two weeks. It was only 83 degrees. But um, before that, it was 100 degrees for about two weeks. Oh, that so. sounds
1: absolutely alright. actually. Uh, I think I would perish for
0: real. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, we didn't go outside very much. Um, yeah. So... Uh, you know, you, you have designed an absolutely wonderful game. This is one of my favorite games. I think I have played all year. Wow, that is quite amazing to hear, actually. Well, good. I, I hope it's not a bad thing to hear. And um, so this game is called Turncoats, and I, I hope to discuss it with you a little bit today. Um, also, but- uh, or in I and I saw you see.
1: I saw you had a question about like how it's pronounced in Swedish, and I thought this would be a good
0: time to include that. Yeah. So how is it pronounced in Swedish? Capvädare. It means like about the same thing. Is there is there like a slightly different meaning?
1: No, not really. Uh, oh, okay. Uh,
0: not at all. Actually, it's it's pretty much the same word. I I didn't know if there was some um shade of meaning there. So I don't speak Swedish, obviously, s- mm. because I'm not even going to make that attempt. <laughs> um, but I, I do, uh, uh, for work, mostly, I do read a few other languages. And mm. so often it's, uh, I'm curious because often words that seem very similar across languages are, are s- subtly different.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, we, I had a bunch of like German exchange students living in with my with me and my family like for the ca- past couple of years uh, and it's really fascinating to like discuss like similar words with German and Swedish and
0: English and whatnot with them I remember um, one of the first times I realized just how uh, odd and beautiful language can be is when I was a a very young child and um, we had one of our Swiss friends we have family in Switzerland mm-hmm and um he came and lived with us for a very brief time and um he didn't understand why we would say something was funny because to him it was too close to the word fun so he would be going oh well why is this what is funny Um, (laughs) doesn't that just mean it's very fun um and and so we we laughed that was funny and he didn't (laughs) understand why um but it it's just lovely the little peccadillos of language yeah um so so pronounce it one more time for me, please Kap-vendare. I Kap- think I, uh, Yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh dear a good
1: I think a good way to think about it is that the a with two dots in the middle is it's not just an a with dots it's a separate letter
0: that is closer to e than it is to a. I'll take your word for it i, I uh, you know in in my field i i do read a few languages because i study ancient history mm-hmm. um but i i drew i do everything in my power to not pre- uh speak them oh I, I have a sluggish tongue i speak poorly enough in english yeah. let alone and uh mm-hmm. i don't want to insult somebody else's language uh, i think you speak lovely english Native speaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do my best. Thank you. Yeah. That's kind of you to say. Um, so, what have you? Uh, so, why don't you give us a little bit uh, a sense of of who you are? Um, so, what is it that you uh, do? What games have you been playing lately? Oh,
1: uh, what? Well, uh, I'm actually a I'm actually a dental student. I, in about a year from now, knock on wood, uh, I'll actually be taking my license and becoming a licensed, licensed dentist. So that's kind of oh, what wonderful. occupies all of my spare time. Uh, but I've also been a lot in like ro- role-playing games, LARPs of the Scandinavian kind. There's a whole discussion for another day there, and of course board games uh recently i've been playing the what have i been playing recently I, uh, i'm a bit of away from my usual group right now but i, I got to try uh pax porphyriana finally uh-huh. uh, after owning the box for like a while i finally got to get it to the table it's a lovely time and then at a local board game store i played siege of orgrimmar i think it was like the you know the dwarf game with the dwarves and the boxes the castle it was decent fun
0: so you have a history uh, i believe of playing the pax game so i'm surprised to hear that it's taking you a while to play pax per i've actually
1: mostly played pax premier it's my that's the one i like the most i also have pax viking that i've played a bunch uh although i have not managed to get it at a higher player count and uh Xbox, yeah, nice attitude. Cause I was, it takes a while to get used used to like the graphic designs, and then to also convince convince others to, uh, please, no, no, the game is probably good. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, please, like, yeah, I know the cards look like
0: they give you a, like a headache. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I have, I remember describing the cards impacts Pax Perfiana like um like a crazy person's basement. He <laughs> believes in conspiracy theories, you know, I with mean, like like the red thread connecting all these random, uh, you know, like oh, so someone killed JFK, you know, just this, <laughs> these crazy. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like once you get used to it, it has its own charm. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: I, I secretly or not so secretly wish for a version of Paxporf which that looked like pax premier but eh.
0: yeah that would be nice wouldn't it yeah have you played um pax renaissance yet uh i have i have not
1: uh i'm a little put off by like the uh, all the footnotes
0: and bankers and stuff so. yeah <laughs> it, it is a little off-putting isn't it yeah the uh so uh, what is it about Pax Perferiana, which uh, I, you know, I personally, because uh, Pax Perferiana is so close to home, I find it a little more off-putting than Pax Renaissance. So what is it about Pax Renaissance that puts you off uh, maybe more than Pax Perferiana?
1: No, I think it's, I think it's, um, honestly, I think it's the fact that uh, Matt Deckland made the, like, he is like the primary designer of the. Porfiriana, well uh Phil is like I think he's like the primary designer of the uh, of the Renaissance, right?
0: Yeah, I yeah it's sometimes those games are so hard to pick apart who designed what.
1: Yeah, but I was listening to like a podcast with uh, with Matt 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 Eklund and I got the impression that he did pretty much everything for Pax Porfiriana even if he failed it like the the Lords of the
0: I don't know, I mean, Spanish main or No he made like a Lords game for the Porfiriana.
1: That's like a predecessor to the Porphy-
0: Is it Lords of the Sierra Madre?
1: Probably. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a bit complicated of course, picking part but Well that's fair enough. Uh the, the, the one that I always struggle with is Pax Emancipation. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is the one that um, Phil designed exclusively, yeah. Um, as opposed to having a lot of uh, input, yeah, uh, from other people. I, I was actually I, I had the opportunity to be privy to um, the Google Hangout or group or whatever it's called mm-hmm. when um, Pax Renaissance was being made, and so I remember seeing just so much input and and debate. Uh, in over the rules and over the footnotes.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, which I think I think helped me get over uh some of my wariness.
1: I mean I prob- I probably want to play them like at least once, but well, all in due time I think.
0: Yeah. So so you have designed a game um that I I wouldn't call it a Pax game, but I I understand that it's inspired a little bit by uh, Cole Worley's Pax Premier. or a is lot, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> uh, so why don't you tell us about Turncoats? What is it? Uh, Turncoats is a sort of abstract strategy
1: game that uh, for two to five player players, where you each or three factions sort of battle for battle for control in some sort of conflict, and the players themselves are none of the sides or all of the sides. I should say that it's a game about playing all sides. Yeah. And what you do is you spend your resources, to, each resource is ma- It's like tied to a faction, and in the end, you want to have the most uh, resources from the faction that wins the game. But in order to make them better, you have to spend stones of that action so there's like the central tension
0: uh. and I absolutely love that tension yeah. um, you know there's so many games it, uh, in this case it reminds me a little bit of the king is dead but mm-hmm. maybe a little opposite um, so in, in your game you draw eight um, beads or colored stones and yeah. they're, they're going to be in one of these colors and your actions require you to spend those stones, um, but at the end of the game, you want to hold as many stones as possible in the winning faction, which which means, as you've pointed out, this beautiful tension, where I- if you spend a stone um, to help your faction win, well, uh oh, now you don't have that stone. Uh, to influence <laughs> that's always faction. a fun.
1: That's always a fun moment to teach.
0: Yeah. And um I, I, I kind of love how you can say it, but then there's um then there's the moment when people really realize it when they play. <laughs> there's also the moment when
1: people realize that wait, what happens if I spend all of my stones? Yeah. <laughs> and I usually respond with, Well, then winning becomes very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> You can win with no stones. I have not seen it, but it's like, if you want a stupid way to play turncoats, try to win with no stones left.
0: Right. I, I can see how you could win. This is very different from uh, some modern designs that do everything in their power to keep you from having those, those um, you know, those, those strange moments. Like, what happens when I run out of stones? So many modern games would... Uh, have a concession where, well, you get a new stone or something. Um, So you have designed a game that has so many little textures to it. So when did you decide uh, to have that be the the game?
1: It's a funny story, actually, because uh, you know how I mentioned that I do like larping and stuff at the start of the podcast? Uh, yeah. Turncoats is actually a game designed to be played at, like, a live-action role-playing game. Really? Yeah, that's that's how the game starts. That's why the it has the whole uh, the whole cloth aesthetic. It has, and it's meant to be like this sort of game that you could find in a cave or a, a, at an archaeological dig site or whatever. Uh, and the rules and the components needed to be simple in turn. If you look at all these old games like Go or Chess or Nevadafel or Ur, all of them have so simple component lists and that was something that I worked a lot with with Turncodes to really find a way to make the game work with just just the stones, no other components.
0: I think one of the things that stands out when people go and look up your game um, is that it's handmade. That's true. I grew up with very crafty siblings. My parents Mm -hmm. were very crafty. They liked to uh, cross stitch and sew and make quilts and all sorts of, and paint and all sorts of crafty things. I'm I'm the least uh, craft making person in my family. Um, And so I was immediately impressed when I saw this uh, game that you had designed um, because it made me want to touch it, (laughs) you know, and handle it. Uh, yeah. For example, um, it, it so just so people can have maybe a visual, we'll put that on uh, the on the podcast episode. But also, um, just the way that it rolls up, yeah. You pull that drawstring and it turns into a little uh, rucksack almost. Um, was that always a goal of yours? When did you decide? What was that like to decide that you wanted this to be a handmade object? Was Um, it entirely uh, in the service of LARPing?
1: Yes. Uh, There's kind of, it's kind of a part of the appeal, but it's also a result of, um, I didn't really want to pitch this game to a publisher because I didn't have the time or effort or whatever or the contact needed to do so. Uh, So instead I sort of turned to see what can I do to publish this game myself because i didn't expect uh, 300 orders in two we- in like a week when I made it. <laughs> that that right. was not on the list of things that I expected. Uh, but instead, like, what can I do to make this game a reality for myself? And that, and that was like, okay, uh, I can. I have to make it myself. Then I started to look at different. There's like a really crappy version that's just drawn on paper. Uh, that's like the first playable version. It looks pretty much the same, uh, but then I started experimenting with like the bag because that sort of feels like a found game thing. You you have the bag; it's like a, and then you unroll it, and that, and you have like an extra little bag with the pieces, and that's all there is in these old games.
0: I love uh, bringing it out and seeing the way people react yeah. when I put it on the table. Um, You know, one of the reasons I love board games is I do think there's uh, such an appeal to uh, the way board games look. Yeah. I like the look of boxes. I like the look of the components. Um, But then pulling this out, and it's so unexpected Yeah. um, because it does not come in a box. It comes in its bundle. And when I open it up, people, all they see is the little bag. They see the little uh, rule uh, folder. And that's it. And it's it's beautifully simple in that regard. Yeah. Was there any point when you considered seeking out a publisher, or did you always know that? Oh man, that's going to take way too much time and effort. I, I think I. You could probably
1: make like a boxed version of the game, especially if you have something where the where the board is actually printed on the inside of the board. That would be very cute, I think. mm mm-hmm. Uh, but. I just and I think I sent it to sent it to like at least one publisher, but I sort of didn't really hear back from them or so so I, I just haven't had the time to really uh do it. So I and instead I've just been making my own production of turncodes more and more effective. Uh, yeah. So what you're what you received is like actually the sort of second generation of turncodes. The original versions are like complete. All the board is like actually stitched onto the onto the uh, cloth onto the linen. Yeah, uh, and then I worked with the uh, David Masnato. He was like I think he was the winner of the he was the winner of the cardboard Edison, and I worked with him, and he sort of made the
0: artwork to imitate the look of the stitched board. And it's very close, actually. Um, yeah, I I originally thought it was stitched. Is not good. It was. <laughs> yeah, kudos to him. He's really good.
1: It's actually the same sort of uh, printing company as the Acts of the Evangelists,
0: a uh, flower. Really, I was yeah. going to. I was going to mention that we we're seeing. Uh, so this is the second game this year. Uh, much like Jeff Warrender's Acts of the Evangelists, that. Um, you know, rather than seeking out a publisher, uh Jeff also decided, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. And um and so he, he also has a uh the cloth board. His isn't quite as nice. It, it it isn't uh stitched around the outside. It doesn't have that edging. Um but I, I love this trend toward mm-hmm. um I'm gonna make this myself instead of uh, spending three years trying to find a publisher.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, and I actually even got
1: the link to Spoonflower, the company. I got it from him. Oh, cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, we, we appeared on like a sort of unpub panel together a while ago.
0: Yeah, Jeff is always willing to help people with their designs, I've found. Yeah. So you mentioned that, that you want this to be like something you could find in a cave. And that just fascinates me. Um, so uh, people who have uh, read some of my work will know that I have, uh, so I I work as a historian and I actually have uh, been involved with a few archeological projects. You have? That's really cool. Um, And and I love the fact that, you know, when we go into an old cave or we excavate like an old house, um, you know, the first, the, the most common artifacts we find are kind of what you'd expect. So like pot sherds, uh, utensils for cooking or eating, um, often like clothing items like moccasins or or other clothing items. But very high up the list is game pieces, mm-hmm. whether that's uh, dice or you know things that could be used for gambling. Or here in here where I live in Utah, um, there's a there's an there's an excavation very near to where I live, actually, where they have excavated these caves from some Native American groups where they have found just dozens and dozens of these very tightly knit hoops, which would be used for a throwing game. Oh, wow. And um, so I love this idea of something uh, found. When did you decide to make this like an artifact that you might be able to imagine you had stumbled upon in a cave?
1: Oh, pretty much from the start, actually. It felt like, if I wanted something that could fit in at a LARP without, like, standing out, then it would also have to be something you could log-
0: logically find at an archaeological dig site. Well, and that makes so much sense because, you know, I was, I was playing this thing and wondering um, why it is that it has just this wonderful sense of presence. And it makes absolute sense that it would be tied to LARPing where uh, you know, you're know you trying to go for that verisimilitude, that feeling like you're actually there. Yeah. Uh, I have not been
1: uh, at any LARPing Relance events for a while
0: because of the pandemic. <laughs> well, that, make, that makes total sense. <laughs> that's true. I guess that would impact that world, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, it would. Uh, so that's been unfortunate. I, I'm hoping to get out soon, uh, but we'll see. Uh, oh, and another thing. Uh, to mention here about the sort of found game aspect. Uh, something that was also very important for me was that it that it was like a uh, two to five player games because like all of these sort of abstract strategy strategy games that people know of, they, they're for two players, right? Yeah. So you have chess, you have Go, and a bunch of uh, also er and Neverdable. And for me, it was very important that turn codes was like a 2 to 5 player game so you could have lots of people involved and it played quickly and regardless of how many players there were you always used all of the pieces so there weren't there weren't any
0: dead pieces per game so to speak i was surprised too to discover that it was so abstract you know especially coming from uh, being inspired by Pax Pamir which of course has a very concrete setting in Afghanistan um, so I imagine that was also part of the reason that you didn't apply any sort of setting to it. Yeah, um, it
1: actually has like a secret setting that I only tell people about if they actually ask.
0: Oh, well, yeah. if I ask, do I uh, do I get to find out about it? Uh, you do, actually. Okay, what is, what is the setting?
1: Uh, the setting is, uh, it's Sweden uh, in the year, depending on how you want to count, you can either go from like, uh, 10:50 to 12:50, or uh, sort of, or roughly like 11:50 to 10, to 12:50. It's not a very concrete time period, but during that time there was a lot of like these sort of noble families or whatever that sort of did wars with each other and turn and took turns being kings and all of that stuff. And I felt like it was a it was fitting enough. And also the the map itself is actually a very abstracted map of uh, uh, medieval Sweden. V- really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, the black starting
0: area is where Stockholm is today. Well, I'm, I'm going to open it right now. <laughs> okay, I have it open. So the black yeah. area is Stockholm.
1: Yes. Uh, and then the most southern part is uh, Scania. Not traditionally included like in medieval Sweden, but I included it anyway because I wanted to. Uh, And then the sort of black area in the middle are the two uh, lakes uh, in Sweden, abstracted together into one thing.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was uh, because I live right next to the mountains. If you ever look at a picture of Salt Lake City, it looks tiny because it's next to mountains. Yeah. Um, So my assumption was that it was is that it was a mountain. It's a lake or two lakes actually. So, nowhere in the rules i that I recall does it say that that space is that space inaccessible it is uh I can confirm that
1: it's i don't mention it anywhere. people just assume it anyway
0: and they're correct so I actually really like that <laughs> i I think it <laughs> speaks to uh i that it's playing with our assumptions a little bit uh in order to keep its rules thin, yeah. And keeping the roots thin were, uh, were, was a pretty big concern of mine uh, because I also printed all the root books myself. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the process of designing it a little bit. So first of all, you, you say that it was very inspired by Cole Burley's Pax Premier. Can that is you, true. Can you tell us about that? What was it that inspired it? What, when did you play Pax Premier and say, I, I think I can make a game um about these uh conflicting factions
1: um not i don't really rem- remember when actually um i played pax premier a while ago but uh, like two years back maybe or or something like that and i really like like the cloth board in pax premier that's an amazing detail i think that adds so much to the game uh, And pax premier it has sort of it also has these sort of abstract pieces and uh, fantastic table presses through its sort of shared chunk. And then it also has all these cards. And I sort of had, these, had this sort of theory about game design that the more types of components a game had, the more rules it had because, well, all the components need rules. So what if I can just... I just kept removing components from the game until I was only left with the stones. Mm-hmm. So the, the stones filled the cards of both the, the armies and the cards and patriots and loyalties and all of that. Uh, but I needed a way to, like, I experimented early with each sort of stone having its own little symbol, uh, but then I, I kind of quickly found out, found out that pub- like, creating that would be a lot of work. So that led me to the sort of experimenting with the sort of the flag and the axe instead. So each one could be anyone uh, action but uh, and then i gave them like a physical space on the board and gave those uh for those those uh those areas their own little rooms to go with to,
0: to act as tiebreakers if our listeners are listening right now and maybe not understanding what's going on so as you're spending your the stones in your hand you can put them out in areas to become new armies um And you can swap them in the bag to negotiate, but you can also put them in one of two uh, zones that are off the map. One is an axe and the other is a flag, and that will allow you to attack with or move that color of um, army on the board. Um, So was there an earlier version of turncoats where... um, did did you actually prototype with having like the axe and the flags um, drawn on the stones? I never
1: tested the versions with uh, like the sort of symbols on the stones because they I only played to, like tried them out digitally and couldn't really I didn't really have a good way to recreate them physically, and uh, so the first version of codes that I like actually play tested uh, was eerily similar to the final version.
0: When you mention these tiebreakers, and and this is a game that is very interested in having players know where the tiebreakers are uh, and where they stand, Um, was that always a part of the design that you wanted people to consider tiebreakers? It reminds me a little bit of The King is Dead in that regard. Yeah,
1: it it was always a part of the design. Uh...
0: Have you played uh, Pierre Sylvester's The King is Dead? I have it in
1: my shelf, but I have never played it. Okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I've been meaning to and I I did take some cues from it, so the eight stones in turn you start with the turn codes is pretty much directly lifted from the eight cards that the king is dead. Oh okay. Uh I and it worked read it seemed like a really good amount, so I and I never really tried any others.
0: Oh really? That's fascinating when we uh when we've played um often my friend jeff every time he's played he he remarks that eight stones feels very tight like it's the perfect number
1: yeah i yeah i feel like a lot of the design with turncoats i sort of just stumbled upon the stumbled upon a game that already existed yeah if that makes sense
0: oh absolutely i i know i've uh, i've heard that for all sorts of art art forms
1: most famous being Michelangelo, but even I don't have that much hubris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so unfortunately, COVID has uh, has prevented you from attending LARPing events in a while. Um, was this game designed long enough ago that it has ever made an appearance? Nope. It was designed in 2020. Oh, 2021. Well, that's unfortunate because I... Uh, I, I think it would be very exciting to play uh, at a LARPing event when everybody's already in the setting uh, yeah. and and wants to and wants to do something that feels authentically uh, medieval or Renaissance or or whenever the event is set. Yeah. Uh,
1: and, however, something that I have done is like there's sort of this uh, medieval week sort of that is it's closer to like a like a red fair uh, mm-hmm. in style. And I did actually go last year and sold my first copies of turncoats right there. And oh, very I'm, cool! I'm going again this year, and I'm taking more turncoats with me.
0: So now that production has ramped up, so you're not hand, uh, you're not hand or machine stitching them anymore. Nope. How fast can you produce this? Um, because I, uh, you know, I don't like to pay attention to uh, the impact of my reviews, but I did get an email from somebody uh, asking if I had uh, asked permission to um, <laughs> write about turncoats because I might be making your life hard. To clarify, you absolutely had permission. Um, oh, good. <laughs> uh, I think
1: I, I, when I had stitched them completely, I could make one in like three and a half hours, I think. But, and now it's more closer to like half an hour to an hour. That, okay, that range so it's a bit difficult to time because there's a bunch of different steps to the process, but it's it's a manageable speed. yeah, that is actually a reason why I don't ask for payments until I've actually until I actually have like the copies ready because then I don't have to worry about owing people money for things I haven't done yet. I can do the things and then send people request for payments. So that way, I can sort of take production at whatever pace I can handle. Yeah. Uh, Which, if you're listening in and hoping to find out when you'll get your delivery, means that this isn't my full time job. Uh, My full time job is dental studies and working at the clinic right now. I do have like a big shipment of some amount of turncoats. So if you order, which I think includes almost everyone who ordered before the review was posted. And then I'll keep, I have to keep ordering more, but I think I sort of ordered everything that the spoon, all the fleas that the spoon flower company had. So the, the supply chain crisis <laughs> hits everyone.
0: Right, right. In what aspect is the supply chain issue affecting you?
1: Uh, I've been waiting for a, for a fabric delivery of oh, okay. uh, yeah. of like 40 turncoats and a bunch of them like some other stuff too for like a while now Uh, and I think it's actually set to deliver on Monday today so that's when my
0: work actually starts. Good timing. Have you considered you could turn this into a LARPing event where people can be like your cottage industry workers (laughs) and make the games for you?
1: I mean I think a lot of my LARPing friends own sewing machines so maybe I could like touch them a little bit, pay them up <laughs> <laughs> so I have considered it I haven't sort of actually reached that sort of conclusion yeah funny thing is that i I hadn't like actually sat at a sewing machine for several years when I started the project uh, so I, I've been sort of teaching myself how the how things work when sewing like a lot as I go
0: yeah I would have to uh i I, I did learn how to sew growing up. Um, but I I would have to, uh, I, I would almost want someone to reteach me at this point. Yeah, I, I had help from family and stuff, so. So it sounds, you know, you have inspirations for your game that come from people like Cole Worley, Pierre Sylvester, who when they make games, they often have uh, an intended experience or even an intended message that they want their players to come away from their games with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is there anything that you hope players of your game will come away with? War is expensive. Well, that's a good message.
1: Yeah, uh, there's there's nothing quite like just completely ruining yourself, but through like battles and stuff. I think that's something that's very different from turncoats compared to other games. A lot of them have like this sort of phase where you actually build up an engine of war, and turncoats is more about a game where you absolutely ruin yourself with it
0: yeah yeah there's there's no point really where everyone is getting stronger nope that is also
1: a core part of the game sort of it has to end somehow and i want it to be a quick game so people just sort of get weaker all the time
0: so the game ends when everybody negotiates which, in game terms, means you draw a stone out of the bag, but then you put one back in, so it, it's this moment when you aren't getting weaker, but you're also not getting stronger and We've found that when we play that often uh, there's a bit of brinkmanship going on you know where we are all um, we're seeing how far we can push ourselves to to make everyone else weak while staying just a little bit less weak than everybody yep. else. Is there? Have you ever seen anybody play where the game ends uh, quickly?
1: I I have. Uh, it's uh, more prominent at like lower player counts, especially like especially two player. Two player is uh, two player is crazy. Uh, uh, but even at three players, I sort of it was funny story. I I sort of did what you described there. I I took a turn at the negotiating table. I didn't actually want the game to end, because when everyone negotiates in a row, the game ends. I didn't want the game to end. I just didn't want to spend any stones while everyone else did. And then all of the others also negotiated, and I sat there with the worst hand ever. And the game (laughs) just ended. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of the development, actually, like the actual changes that I made to the game were mostly about making negotiate worse. Really? Yeah, uh, because I Had a friend who's very keen on just negotiating and he's good at breaking games, so I sort of hit him with the nerd hammer a bunch. Uh, Which is why, with the tiebreaker where you don't want stones from the losing factions, once there's like an incentive to like spend stones.
0: I see, yes, that makes sense.
1: And also the rule where you reveal the stone that you put back.
0: Has he broken the game in any other ways?
1: Uh, no, I think it's like in a pretty good spot now, and like. Something that I found was sort of difficult when designing turncuts was that I had to sort of hold back, almost hold back this impulse to add things to it. Yeah. Uh, Because of like how both of our, how I was physically constrained by the space I had in the rulebook, but also that the game wouldn't necessarily be better just because it had more rules. Uh, Quite the opposite, really. Yeah the i sort of the fewer rules i could have and still get away with the better in my uh, sort of was my design ethos
0: well you've made an absolutely wonderful game um i i would encourage people to look into it now i understand you've uploaded the print and play files on BoardGameGeek. geek that is true and there's also
1: a i've been meaning to make an announcement about like just give everyone a heads up about the how the production is going and uh, also sort of show people that I also have a screen top mod for turn codes. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, there's also probably a tabletop simulator thing, but it has pretty outdated assets, and I'm not in a hurry to update them because that would require reinstalling tabletop table.simulator. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the screen screen top is like a lovely... Web-based uh, tabletop sort of thing. Uh,
0: have you used it? Played one game on here. Um, I played John Cloudus's "An Empty Throne" quite a bit with him. So I have. I have played on here one game, and we liked it. It's it's very bare bones. Yep.
1: Yeah, but so is Dark Codes.
0: Well, that's fair. And so was so was John's game. Um, so what's coming up next? From uh, what can we uh, expect next from uh, you, Matilda?
1: Right now, I have like uh, two games that I'm working on, and uh, sort of work. And then I have a lot of ideas for games, but I have one that is like the closest to being finished. And I mentioned it to you before on Twitter. It's called uh, Pax Penning or Pax Penning, and it's it's sort of a prequel to codes actually. Really? Yeah, it uh, takes place like right at the end of, and it takes place right after Pax Viking. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, the and but instead of like the normal what you would expect from the Pax games with like cards and flavor text and stuff like that, uh, it is a cardless abstract roll and move. It's only. A bit of a joke, to, uh, but I wanted to see if I could make like an abstract roll and move game that's also sort of paxy. If you get what yeah, I, mean. I could sure. pretty easily change the name if if there's an issue or if I get
0: too much hate mail. But eh. so there was a another design, and I I don't know if you've tried it. Have you played Vox Luminous? Uh, I haven't played it, but I've read a bunch about it. Yeah, so that one uh, was originally going to be Pax Luminous, but I think he just wanted to avoid any entanglement there. Yeah, um,
1: I feel like it's—I might end up doing the same, but at the, if I'm being a little bit callous, I feel like it's also a good way to get get people's attention. Right, uh, and it also sends like a bit of a message that, about how you approach history and what sort of conflicts to expect. And, and in that regard, I think it fits in quite well. Uh, the game itself is about it's on the smallest scale scale of any pack game so far, uh, by far. Uh, all of it takes it takes place in uh, Sweden in nine hundred and ninety five to uh, one thousand and thirty five, and it's during a period during which the Swedish King Olaf Tryggvason, son of Eric the Victorious, in pax viking when he uh decided when he struck the first uh swedish coins oh okay uh and the whole game is sort of about how at the time the currency wasn't really or the coins weren't actually used as we think of them today as like a currency Uh, but instead a sort of token of loyalty or something like sure sure so a corporate part of the game is that uh, instead of like s- how you would normally spend coins to buy stuff in the market, uh, the amount of coins you have here instead increases your reach, or the amount of pendings specifically it increases your reach in the market. So if you have one pending you can, re- you can buy stuff from like the one slot, and if you have three, you can choose from the one, two, and three slots. I see, yeah. It's a big and also, and all of the market things are sort of associated with new institutions that the king
0: brings with it. So is it going to be, it sounds already like it, you, your description just now almost had more words than the entirety of the explanation for turncoats. Is it going to be <laughs> a little more complicated? It is definitely a lot. It is definitely more complicated.
1: Uh, I've given myself permission to use a higher peace count, which also means more rules. Yeah. Uh, and so, the currently the uh, pieces include like there's the glass the glass beads uh, yeah. that we all know from turncoats. Uh, there's also coins that I want to like like actually use sort of metal historical or replicas of the historical coins at the time, and it includes a bunch of dice and eight chess pieces which add acts as the replacement for the cards. Oh, very good. Yeah, so instead of having like a bunch of cards with different bishops on them that do the bishop action, you simply have the bishop chess piece. Uh, and So it walks down the market and when you purchase it, you do its action and then it goes back to the top. I'm
0: sold. When <laughs> when do I get to play it? Uh,
1: probably <laughs> pretty soon, actually. Uh, oh, good yeah I've been running a i've been testing it a bit and right now I was like sitting there and doing like fiddling with the rules and the board and whatnot uh so and it's I think it's in a pretty good state uh, and well, I, I can't also, wait yeah I also think it's going to be very funny to see people debate about like the abstract roll and move packscape <laughs> with like.
0: A page of rules. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I can't wait to try that. And a- as I've said before, um, I have a great admiration for turncoats. Uh, this really is one of the best games I've played this year. Again, thank you so much. It's you have no idea how fantastic it is for me to hear that. <laughs> well, I hope so. Uh, sorry to swamp you with orders. I that I I have no idea that that sort of thing is going to happen. <laughs>
1: No, it it's fine. I'll just deal with it. Uh, one order by one o- order by order. It did, however, mean that I'm pretty sure that with the amounts of sales I have now, I actually have to start figuring out uh, taxes.
0: Oh yes. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah.
1: So and become like an actual official company.
0: Is there anything else you would like to leave us with uh, before we go? Is this podcast
1: means another hundred orders? I'm gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there was one thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm also alongside turncoats. I'm also doing like re-cre- production recreations of some other actual ancient games. Uh, you might have seen them on when you on the waters thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. And so, so you do uh, quite a few. So you do the game of mills, the game of ur. Um, what what else do you design?
1: And uh, nevatab.
0: So that's the old, uh, I think most people would know it as ancient Viking Viking game.
1: Yeah, or Viking chess or something like that. Yeah, Viking chess. It's it's actually really cool, the asymmetrical uh, two-player game.
0: You know, so the most recent time I played this, and this might show off what a nerd I am. (laughs) um, You have a board game podcast. That that's true. I'm pretty nerdy. Okay, never mind. Everyone knows what a nerd I am. Um, that's a good point. Fair enough. Um, I actually so um, there is a video game called Mount and Blade Two Bannerlord, and it is this medieval warfare game. And as you travel around, you can go and play board games with uh, with with nobility and and royals, and um, and that game is remade in there. So that's the most recent time I've played it. Um, and thankfully, the AI has no idea how to play. So I just, I just absolutely wreck all these kings and, and princesses. I, I, can, I can beat all of them. <laughs> that's funny. Or is it very fun? Yeah, which, which one is it? <laughs> well, Matilda, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it was a pleasure joining you. Yeah, it was lovely getting to know you a bit better. Um, so, uh, to any of our listeners, please uh, check out this is uh, Mildamatildagames.wordpress.com. Uh, you can take a look at uh, Matilda's games. Um, very beautiful productions.
1: You can also find me on Twitter at MildaGames, which has the side effect of a lot of people assuming my first name
0: is Milda. I usually don't have the heart to correct people, but. <laughs> 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 well, fair enough. Um, well, thank you again, Matilda, for being with me today. Um, uh, and take care. <music>